All right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. That's good to hear. Um, well, I am uh, thrilled to be back. Again, this is uh, my fifth time being here. My name is Taylor Long, um, and being here five times, that means uh, I haven't said anything wrong or wandered myself into heresy yet, so that's good. Um, I'll consider that success. Um, so, yeah, if you've got your Bibles with you, maybe a tablet or, yeah, you're the tech person here, go ahead and get it out, and uh, we're going to go to John 3, um, John 3, and if you remember kind of my four sermons beforehand, you might not, maybe this is your first time hearing me, um, I've kind of had a thing for weird, obscure, not normal scriptures, right, like I did one in Habakkuk, that's not your atypical Sunday school um, book of the Bible. We talked about uh, uh, Uzzah and the Ark out of 1 Chronicles 13, and that's, yeah, that's not a normal story you hear quite that often. So I've, I've kind of had this thing for different texts, and today I'm going to break that a little bit as we step into probably what's known as the most famous verse of the Bible, most common, most memorized verse of the Bible as we zoom in on John 3.16. Now, don't worry, we're not going to ignore the context. I'm not about to do that, because that is how I will wander into heresy. Um, But yeah, we're going to just dive into John 3.16 and look at God's amazing love for us. So, um, with that being said, I'm just going to read John 3.16, even though I'm sure a number of you guys could recite it off the top of your head. Um, I've got the ESV in case there's anything different, but John 3.16, I'm just going to read it to you, and then we'll dive right on in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, so the Gospel of John, really quick, again, we're not going to ignore some of these context things. Um, there, There is just a little debate as far as to who wrote this, but it's very widely accepted that that John the Evangelist, the son of Zebedee, the one who you would see in the Gospels in the inner circle with Jesus, you know, James, Peter, and then John, that would be the author of this one. He was writing this. And, and we're kind of dropping in on, in, in verse 16, dropping in on a conversation between Jesus and a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Okay, now Nicodemus, Nicodemus if you, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of you guys know, but Nicodemus was a Pharisee or a teacher of Israel. He was the teacher of Israel, Pharisee, and and those of you with background in in the Bible would know the Pharisees are kind of like the bad guys, right? They're always coming at Jesus. If you're a Star Wars fan, you hear the word Pharisee and you think the Imperial March, right? Like Darth Vader's walking through. That's the music you you hear when you think of the Pharisees. Um, So that's Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus at night trying to hide, trying to not let anybody know he was going to Jesus because, well, if somebody saw him talking to him, well, that would verify Jesus' ministry and the Pharisees were, were getting to the point where they were all they were trying to do was, was tear Jesus' ministry down. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, asks him some questions, and they're talking about the new birth and being reborn, being regenerated. Um, Jesus is telling him these things, and Nicodemus can't wrap his mind around these things. And Jesus then ultimately gets to verse 14 and 15, which he says uh, that the Son of Man must be lifted up like the serpent um, that Moses lifted up in Numbers 21, and that faith and salvation, salvation comes through faith and looking upon the Son of Man lifted up on the cross. And then we get to 
John 3.16. Okay, now, uh, another quick thing that I found interesting as I studied this was, who said this? Was this John's commentary, John commenting on the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, or was this actually Jesus' words? Like, you might have a red letter Bible in front of you, and maybe these letters are in red, or, or maybe they're, they're not in red and everything else is. Um, and that's an interesting question. But if we understand Scripture rightly, it doesn't really matter, right? If we understand Scripture as to what it is, God breathed all of it, every sentence, it's all of Christ. It's all from Him. So while it could be a fun discussion over coffee sometime, it doesn't have any bearing. It doesn't change the meaning that we get out of this text. So John 3.16, we talk about God's amazing Love In the first sent, or phrase, we have, For God so loved the world. And that, that tells us a number of different things. First of all, God is loving, and He has an object for His love, which is the world. Okay? The world. And, and the object of His love, the world, shows us the vastness of God's love. That's kind of my first point, is that God's love is vast. Right? Vast. Maybe you, you've heard the song, How Deep is the Father's Love for Us, and we'll... We'll talk about that song in a little bit. But it's vast beyond all measure. We can't even comprehend it. And it's because of the world. See, the world is a big place. Right? It's a big place. But God's love isn't just directed at the place of the world, but what's contained in it. Us, His creation. What He has made. Just a, a fun tidbit to think of the size and, and, and the greatness um, of God's love. The current population, at least, when I googled it last week, it was uh, the current population is seven trillion three hundred forty-six billion two hundred thirty-five thousand. That's just the current population number of people, and God loves them all. I hope I said that number right because I do teach second graders how to read numbers. So if I read that wrong, uh-oh, um, Mr. McIntyre, don't don't tell Mrs. Cook if I read that wrong. Um, but that's just the current population. God loves them all. It's big. But the point and what makes God's love so amazing isn't the size of the world. Okay? It's not the size of the world, but the sinfulness of the world. Right? Like God's love is amazing not because the world is so big, but because the world is just so bad. He is a holy and perfect God. The world is not. And everywhere that John uses this term world, he's talking about the fallen and sinful world, the fallen and sinful humanity, right? Here's a couple of examples. John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. When John talks about the world, the, the world's works are evil. They're, they're not righteous. John fourteen seventeen. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So the world can't even see the Spirit. When John's referring to the world, he's talking about the fallen and sinful humanity, the world that has rebelled and turned against their Creator, God. God's love goes out to even them. And that, that makes it so amazing that this holy and perfect God would love such a fallen and sinful world that have, have turned and rebelled against Him. The world has. We have rebelled and turned against our Creator. Yet God continues to love the world. 
And what's amazing as well is that this isn't an obligated love. God is not obligated to love us. He's not obligated to love the world. He doesn't have to. He freely gives this, right? We love because he first loved us. It doesn't come out of me, okay, I love you, God, so now you have to love me back. No, God loves first and freely. He's not held down to any strings. He's not obligated to love us. This is a free love. We're, we're sinful, yet he continues to love us freely. didn't matter how bad the world was. His love still was directed at the world. And some might be sitting here thinking today, there's no way God can love me. I've done this, I've done that. He can't accept me because of my past, my present, things that I've thought about for my future. Like, like there's no way God can love me. But God loved the world, right? And he loves the world. He loved the rebellious image bearers who turned against him. The, the fools, the rebels, the idolaters, he loved them and loves them and he loves you. The same is said for you. God's love is still there. So God's love is vast. So vast. Vast beyond all measure. But then we also see as we continue on through this, this verse that God's love is active. It's active. It's not, not stagnant. It's not not standing still, but it's active, it's doing something. All right? For God so loved the world. Now when we think of the word so, a lot of times we think, oh, God loved the world so much. Right? Right? God loved the world so much. Which I'm not saying is wrong. I just talked about how vast God's love was. But we can look at this word so and read it to mean in this way. The the CSB translation even translates this verse to say God loved the world in this way. There was a way that God loved us. See, we oftentimes think of love as sentiment, as some vague feeling, but God's love was active. It didn't, uh, didn't just stand still. There was substance behind it. God didn't say, um, you know, I love enough to give this. It's, it was past tense. I love, so I gave. He actually did something through his love, right? If I, if I sit at home and tell my wife, hey, I love you. I love you. I really do. And then I just kind of sit on the couch, play some NBA 2K, you know, read, read the things I want to read while she cooks and cleans and takes our new puppy out and does all those things. Do I, do I really love her? I mean, I said I did. And I said, I love I could even say, hey, I love you enough to do the dishes today. But if I don't do it, is there any real meaning to that? I mean, I, I would venture to say she'd have cause to question, okay, does he really actually love me? But God didn't leave us with that question, right? He said, I, I love, so he actually gave something. He actually acted in his love. He didn't just say, I love enough. I love you guys. I love you world. And then just kind of hang out. No, he, he loved so much that he gave. He acted on his love. And then we also see the activity in that in, in what he gave. It says he gave his only son. His only son. Now, we've got to understand who his only son was to know how much that means. 
right? Because we know that God did not kind of give us the bottom of the barrel. He's like, you guys are sinful, so I'll give you, I guess I'll give you that. He didn't just throw us pennies, right? He gave the best that he had. He gave the best that he had. He didn't, didn't hold back from us despite our sin, despite uh, us turning away from him. He didn't hold back. He gave the best that he has, his unique and beloved and only son. And this idea of the only son is where a lot of people actually get tripped up on, right? But his unique son, if you remember from, from Hebrews 1, um, we talked about what makes Jesus so special, right? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He's the exact nature of God, the glory of God. When we understand the Trinity rightly, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son that was given, is the same nature, shares that nature with God the Father and God the Spirit. Three persons, and they are one in essence, one in nature. They were undivided in their nature. Very God himself was given the Son. And he gave his Son not just to come teach us some lessons, right? He, he didn't come just to say, hey, do this and do that. He didn't come just to heal a couple people that were sick. He came and was given to be lifted up. To go back to verse 14 and 15. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He was given to be lifted up. Now we could think, hey, that means his ascension, right? Oh, he was lifted up to heaven. Good. But really, when we think about the serpent and that it, there's parallels there, the serpent was lifted up on a pole back in Numbers 21. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. The same way on a pole, on a cross. He was sent and given not to just do some cool healings, not to just give a couple cool sermons, but to die in our place, lifted up like a pole on the serpent. So God's love was active in that it, it gave, and then it was great, it showed off its greatness in what he gave. He gave his only son to go to lengths that we cannot even imagine. So God's love was active. God's love is vast. It is active. And then the last, last one that I want to really focus in on is his love was purposeful. God's love is purposeful. It's not some vague feeling, some, some random action. It's purposeful. All right? So the last half of John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There was a purpose and a reason for God's love. It wasn't just some action. There was meaning behind it. His love was meant to accomplish something. Right? It wasn't, wasn't just meant to just kind of go to the wall and then fall down. No, it was going to do something. It was going to accomplish something. And that something that he was going to accomplish was to give life, to give eternal life. His love was meant to give eternal life. To who? That's a good question. To who? It says, to all, uh, whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. To all the believing ones, the ones with faith. That's who this love was meant to save. That, that's what it was meant to accomplish, to give life to the ones who have faith, who believe. And those that don't have faith, we see 
they will perish. Right? They will perish. And not everyone will benefit from what Jesus did. We see that. We can even skip down to verse 18 where it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So unbelief is condemnation in and of itself, yet it leads to to perishing. And we, we might, I mean, that's, that's part of this idea that God is loving. How can he do that to people? How, how could he leave them to perish? That's part of, part of this, this tension that we, we see currently with this verse. God's loving, so how does that work? We can't let his love then just cancel out his justice, right? He is a just God. He's a loving God, but he's just. We see that um, in the Old Testament. I'm, the, the reference is, is blanking me right now. But he is, he is uh, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, but he will never let the guilty go unpunished. That's the Lord speaking himself. See, Jesus being lifted up and faith in him takes place of their guilt. Jesus takes on our guilt. But without that belief, without that faith, we stand condemned in our sin. But the purpose of Jesus, see, we're condemned already. Without Jesus being sent, we were condemned already. But Jesus being sent out of the Father's love was to give life. That was his purpose. Right? We can even step into verse 17. For God did not send the, wor- the Son into the world to condemn the world. Right? That's not why Jesus came. But he came in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay? And we have to have faith. Those who believe, all the believing ones who have faith. But faith in what? Faith in what? A lot of people have faith. Right? Muslims have faith. Jews have faith. Hindus have faith. Buddhists have faith. They all have faith. I would, I would even argue that, that a lot of atheists have faith in something. Right? Maybe not a, a, a deity, but faith in themselves, logic. A lot of people have faith. Well, what makes this faith so different? Our faith. I mean, our, our faith in what? It's faith in the one who was given, the unique son and the one who must be lifted up, the son of man. That's where our faith must be placed. We must be receiving him as he says he is, as who he says he is, not just some vague belief in God. Oh, I believe there is a God. No, that's not the faith that we're talking about. Right? We could step into James and see that the demons believe in God. And what do they do? Shudder. Right? They're, they're not comforted in their belief, in their vague belief of God. No, no, we need faith in Jesus, in what he has done, and who he says that he is. A true acknowledgement of Jesus as he says and proclaims himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. See, it's not our faith that gives us this life, right? The, the, the faith or the life that God is giving doesn't come just through our faith, but in our objects, in what we have faith in, in the God who loves and Jesus being lifted up on the cross. That is what gives us life, or the purpose of God's love, right? So we see that God's love is amazing. It's vast for great sinners like you and me, it's active, it's not just standing still, and it's purposeful, it has a reason, and it's set out to accomplish something. So what do we do in response? What do we do in response? 
Well, first, we're, we're called to, Jesus calls us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So we need to strive to love like this, to love actively, to love vastly, and to love purposefully. But you and I both know, I mean, I know at least, I, I can't speak to your heart right now, I know that I fall woefully short of loving this way. So what do I do? What is my response? Not only do I do that, but I have to look to the cross. We have to look to the cross. See, the sending of the Son is where the love of God is culminated, right? The sending of Him, and not only just the sending, but the lifting up of Him as the, the, the serpent in Numbers 21, that is where the love of God meets in, in crescendos, right? The, that event is the cross. And if you, honestly, if you would consider yourself one of the, the in the unbelief camp right now, Right, you you wouldn't really be sure. I I, I I ask you to look to the cross with faith today and come talk to somebody. Find me, find an elder, talk to somebody about Jesus and what he did and what God's love has accomplished through him. And believers, our call is the same. Look to the cross. God's love is perfectly seen right there where Jesus was. Okay? We see his vast love, the 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 extreme measures he was meant to go. We see the activity, his activeness in his love. We, and we see the purpose of his love right there on the cross. And it also speaks to our current circumstances. I don't know what you're going through. It might be a difficult time. It might be a joyful time. It might be a hill or a valley. But we can always look, and look to the cross and see and know that whatever's going on is not happening because I'm missing out on the love of God. Because there's the proof. The cross is the evidence, right? I might be going through something really hard, but I can look at it, and I can know that it's not because God does not love me. God loves me. I can see it at the cross, and I'm going to walk through it with his love and through his love. Whatever the circumstances, we know that God's love is not missing because we can look and see and be encouraged by, comforted by, strengthened by the love that, that is seen on the cross. And just to wrap up, I want to read a couple stanzas from um, a song that as I have talked about and as I've studied just the great love of God, this song becomes deeper. This song is How, How Deep the Father's Love. And just I'm going to read just a couple stanzas. I'm not going to ruin everything and, and scar you guys by trying to sing it. I'm just going to read it. It says, the first stanza goes, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And then it goes on a couple stanzas later to, to say, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. See, that should be our boast, and that should be our hope. The deep, vast, active, and purposeful love of God that's evidenced with the Son of Man on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, thank you for your great love, your vast love, your active love, and your purposeful love. And thank you, Lord, for, for not sitting still in your love, but sending Jesus to die, to take upon our sin um, and our condemnation. Lord, help us just to, to look to him, to see him greater and greater in our lives. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.
Would you stand and sing with us this morning?